This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You guys, welcome to episode 61 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known, and more importantly, not-so-well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McEady. How are you? Good. Good to hear it. Um, we have a really reality television-based episode today. I mean, I know that it always is kind of adjacent, whatever, but like today it's like, these are reality TV trailblazers we're talking about today, ladies and gentlemen. Roll out your red carpets. Seriously, we're talking about reality television royalty, if you will. And I'm very excited. Um, before we get to that, I feel like I should let you know that, um... I survived a, I don't even know what you would call it, a poltergeist? I don't know. There was a poltergeist in my apartment this week, uh, allegedly. It could have been a poltergeist. It could have not been. In my opinion, it was. I've told you guys that I live in a building that is, it was built in like 1918 or something. Um, and so it just harbors a lot of like energy. Whether that's negative or positive is up for debate. I've lived here for about a year now and... Well, um, yeah, a lot of weird shit has happened, which, by the way, is so crazy because I remember in the room that I'm sitting in right now, I remember um, right behind me, I recorded the first episode that I ever did here. If you go back and listen, it was Drew Barrymore and Tom Green, and uh, I actually went back and listened to it just for the hell of it the other day because sometimes I'll go back and listen to really old episodes to just cringe at um, how weird and nervous I used to be on uh, camp, camera, microphone, whatever this is, whatever this doohickey is, and, uh, yeah, I was, like, so excited to be recording in here, and I had just moved in, and it was really echoey because I didn't have any furniture in here yet, and I was, like, talking about all the possibilities and my hopes and dreams of living in this apartment building, and so much has happened in a year, um, just so many life things, but, yeah, uh, so, I have this thing in this building. It's called Cluster Flies. Um, if you are not driving or doing anything that uh, requires your hands, you should Google it. I would Google image it, if you will, just because, uh, I don't know, I feel like we should be on the same page as to how horrifying this is. But I've got a thing called Cluster Flies, and well, Cluster Flies are, according to the guy in um, Slouchy butt crack showing dungarees that came here and fixed it the other day cluster flies are groups of flies that lay eggs every year in your uh in like the dwellings of your home so like it can happen in like windows and it mostly happens in windows because they come from outside and they lay eggs and then they, f they they hatch when the when it gets warm out and this like it's like it's a plague like, I'm not kidding you. I killed, at the very least, I'd say I killed probably 30 flies the other day. So, as a result, you guys got a repeat episode because your boy wasn't allowed in his apartment. It was, um, there was a lot of activity happening. Activity. 
There was a lot of activity happening in here, and I couldn't handle it. I couldn't be in here. Um, I was literally a madman running around with, like, shoebox lids and, like, paper plates. Like, I was, like, that neurotic psychopath trying to kill flies that I could never be fast enough to get to with, like, I don't know, a fucking paper plate. Like, that's so dark. Anyway, you guys, I'm really excited about today's episode because this is... I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if you guys will care about this. I feel like you will because we are like reality TV kings and queens that listen to this podcast. Um, we're going to be talking about John and Kate Gosselin today. And I, to be honest with you, I don't even know where it came from, how it came. I don't know how I, I randomly sat down and was like, we should talk about Kate Gosselin. Cause I have so many things to say about Kate Gosselin. Um, Things that you may like or may not like or may agree with or may disagree with. She's a very polarizing person. So whatever I say about her, I know that there will be a ton of people who agree with me and a ton of people who disagree and think that I'm psychotic and that she's all these specific things. And we'll get into it. I'm not going to spoil it too early. Um, but I just have a lot of things to say, a lot of theories to run by you. Um, I did my best. I mean, this is a couple who continues to fight in the press now, like... They literally still banter back and forth in 2018. They divorced in in uh, in 2009. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot to say. This is a really a really important family. Um, you know, when it comes to reality TV, I really do feel like there should be some sort of like reality television like version of the Emmys or something because. There are people who pioneer reality television and they change our culture so much, but they get no recognition for it because it's reality and it's always going to be looked down on no matter what the format, like unless it's like Top Chef, you know what I mean? It's always going to be looked down on and John and Kate are not something to celebrate by any means, but it's worth mentioning every once in a while that they played a, a incredibly pivotal role in our culture and that Kate Gosselin was, for better or for worse, a cultural phenomenon. I mean, like, her husband was a big deal, her children were a big deal, but Kate herself had become a bit of a cultural phenomenon at a certain time. Um, I actually got to meet Kate Gosselin, which if you have been an EBP for a long time, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's great. Um, it's one of my favorite celebrity uh, celebrity encounters that I've ever had. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to get into this. I mean, obviously there's a million things you can say about John Goslin and just this whole family in general and their whole rise and fall and just sort of how trailblazing they were and like the format of their show. Um, so yeah, unless you have any questions, I think we should get them right, get right into it. By the way, I'm going to take a sip of tap water. Again, I'm drinking a lukewarm tap water the glass has spots. Like, I truly hate tap water. And I know that I was embarrassed that I said that in whatever episode it was that we talked about this. But, like, I don't really care. I hate tap water. I think it tastes like dirty pennies. And every time I take a sip of it, for this, sip of it while I'm drinking it for this podcast, I feel like it makes my mouth more dry. And I feel more thirsty after, which scares me. You guys, John and Kate <laughs> met... In October of 1997 at a company picnic, and they got married on June 12th of 
Um, Kate very famously suffered from fertility issues at the beginning of the relationship, which led to her getting pregnant through um, fertility treatments. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding the authenticity of Kate's issues with fertility. Um, it's something that we'll talk about, but, like, obviously I don't have some sort of exclusive on whether or not Kate is actually fertile. Like, I've not been able to swab her vagina, but um, I do have some notes on what I think and what's going on and, and why these these uh, allegations came up. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, John and Kate were, like, one of the first, if not the first, TLC-style family show to really take on, you know to really take off in such a monumental way. You know what I mean? And I think anyone who watched this show religiously from the beginning would agree that there was a a definitive turning point when the show, um, it felt like it was like this little thing that you were watching, that it was like this little family with these beautiful Asian children that you were obsessed with and you thought that they were funny. It was like your own little thing. You know, it was like all like 200 of us that were watching. And then it became a cultural phenomenon and you know 11 million people were watching these episodes which is fucking mind-blowing for a cable program on a network like tlc um it was like a meteor hitting the earth which is an analogy that i say all the time but in this case it's like so beyond true um and john and kate were also one of the first tlc families um to have their lives completely spiral out of control you know, as a result of exposing their their private lives to the world. Um, they were probably the first family, you know what I mean? Before the Honey Boo Boos and the Duggars and, you know, all this bullshit. Kate and John sort of, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to say paved the way, because that's I, I don't think that they would be happy with the result of their whole family crumbling, but um, they were the first. They were put through the gauntlet first and We got to watch this family's rise and fall in such a pivotal way. Um, I mean, they had one of the most epic celebrity divorces in Hollywood history. Literally every single argument, every text message, every unwelcomed visit, it was all exposed to the world. And, you know... There was a point where, like, you know, they both literally were just taking turns doing television appearances to, you know, give their side of whatever ridiculous story was happening that week. And the whole world was intrigued by it. They were on The View all the time and Good Morning America. They were on Oprah. Oprah was involved in the John and Kate drama. I mean, it was a huge fucking deal. Um... And like I said earlier, I do think that it is worth mentioning, and we'll definitely talk about it, uh, that, you know, Kate Gosselin, for better or for worse, is a reality television pioneer. She's an icon. Like, Kate Gosselin, whether you want want to accept her into your heart or not, she is a reality television icon. Um, Her popularity has definitely wavered, obviously. Like, now she's in no way, shape, or form as popular as she was at, you know, that early point in her career at all. Um, but, you know, she perfectly describes the kind of person that I obsess over in the middle of the night, because I remember a time when Kate Gosselin was such a phenomenon that she was a fucking Halloween costume, and she was the most Googled person on the internet that year, 
and uh, she was rated in Time Magazine as like one of the most overexposed celebrities of the year. I mean, she was literally everywhere. You couldn't turn. Every single grocery store, every magazine at the grocery store was about Kate, was featuring Kate, was getting an exclusive from Kate. I mean, she was just, she was everywhere, and it's crazy. Um, You know, she really is sort of the definitive... 15 minutes of fame celebrity. You know what I mean? Like, she went from being somebody who would sit down and talk to Oprah to people forgetting why she was even famous. Um, and as you always, you know, I always say ladies first. So, like, we should truly start with the belle of the ball, Mrs. Kate Gosselin, who was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, Kate comes from a very traditionally conservative, religious background. Her father was actually the pastor of the church that she attended. Um, and she's actually been estranged from a majority of her family for a really long time, I would say, since she sort of got any sort of inkling of fame. Um, she's one of five children, and she's had very public spats with her siblings, uh, specifically her brother and his wife, Jody. Uh, in 2010, they testified against Kate in court, at a child child labor law hearing, um, they claimed that John and Kate were subjecting their kids to unfair and unlawful conditions. Um, and according to Kate's sister, she was completely dependent on her friends and her family and her community to, you know, help take care of these children and give her stuff because they didn't, you know, they didn't have a shit ton of money. And as soon as she became famous... She just sort of wrote everybody off. You know, she stopped talking to her parents. Um, her siblings stopped being able to contact her or her children. So they haven't seen their, you know, their nieces and nephews in like 10 years or something. Um, Kate also allegedly comes from a very abusive background. Her father, who was a devout, sort of obsessive, evangelical Christian, uh, was very physically abusive to her. Um... She's been kind of open about the fact that he was abusive and that he used to beat her. He was physically and mentally abusive, but it's been written about a lot by other people in like memoirs written about her and um, interviews and just articles and things about her life. Um, a really big pivotal thing about her childhood is that she was really, really terribly abused. Um, and, uh, yeah, she completed a diploma program at Reading Hospital in, uh, the medical center in Reading, Pennsylvania. And this is where she began her career as a nurse. And, um, I mean, look, for two people from fucking bumfuck Pennsylvania, like, that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? Like, John, you know, or John, Kate didn't come from some, like, crazy, you know, uh, I don't know, out of this world family background. Like, she was a very sort of religious, basic girl from Pennsylvania who was a nurse. Um, John was also raised in PA. His father was a pediatric dentist. Uh, his mom stayed at home. And um, before he was a reality television star, he worked as an analyst. Um, his family also had a shit ton of money. And uh, we will get into that here in just a minute. Another, another claim people... Alleged that, you know, Kate only wanted to be with John because she was, like, sniffing out rich men to marry. Um, but we'll get into it. So, they met during a picnic organized by their office in 1997. 
They both stated in interviews that they had an immediate attraction to each other. Kate said in her book, uh, John was walking across the grass and I saw him and was, in, was instantly intrigued. Our eyes met and continued to meet from across the way um, into the afternoon. Finally, I arranged for someone to introduce us and it was love at first sight. They got married in a friend's backyard in Wyoming, Pennsylvania on June 12th of 1999. And yeah, it was alleged that she had heard, through the, you know, through the grapevine that he was rich. Uh, you know, he comes from, like I said, a very wealthy family. And all of her siblings have said in interviews that she was adamant on meeting a doctor. You know, she wanted to be a nurse, but at the same time, like, her draw for being in the medical field was that she would meet a doctor and she would maybe not have to work. You know what I mean? You know, right? You know, girls, right? Our dream. Meet a doctor. You know, he begs you to stop working. He slides you a, a, an envelope of money, a la Anna Nicole and Howard K. Marshall, and says, my lovely lady love or whatever. You'll never work again. Like, truly my dream. So I can't really hate on the girl for hoping that she'd, like, meet a successful man at work. Like... You know what I mean? Why not? Um, as soon as she met John, she pounced. You know what I mean? He was cute. You know, he was young. He was well-mannered. He was uh, sort of submissive. You know, he had a, a decent job with good pay, and then he had rich family. So, you know, your girl pounced. The, the, the claws came out. I'm proud of her. Um... After they got married, John's father bought them a house and he sent them a very large check monthly for their expenses. Um, soon after, they gave twins to uh, two girls, uh, Madeline Kate and Cara Nicole. I just said her name really weird. Cara. I just said Cara. Cara Nicole. Um, on October 8th of the year 2000. And... Here's where things get a little bit fishy and a little bit dark, and I'd like for you to follow along to your best of to the best of your ability, but your boy's about to throw some conspiracies at you, and I want to know what you think about them. Just let me know. So, in 1997, there was this family called the McCaughey family. I, I, I may be saying their name wrong, but I think it's McCaughey. And they had become famous for having the world's first successful septuplet birth, Okay. Um, they had four boys and three girls. Uh, the birth of these kids sparked a media frenzy. You know, at the time they were seen as this extremely controversial uh, family, considering this was something that had never been done and it was sort of religious based. Um, in Time Magazine in 2007, the mom uh, of the Makahi family gave an interview and she said, in the beginning, for every 10 letters we would get there were, that were happy for us, we'd get one letter accusing us of exploiting our children and being selfish to waste the world's resources on a family this big. Our neighbors never gawked. They gave us our privacy, but we had complete strangers come around to the back of our house, knock on our door, and ask if they could hold one of our babies. So this family receives, you know... Insane donations. They got a 5,500-square-foot uh, 5, house built for them. They were given a minivan. Um, they were given enough diapers to last for two full years. They were offered nanny services for free. Um, 
the they were given scholarships so all of their kids could go to school for free if they uh, went to any sort of state school in uh, if they went to basically if they went to the University of Iowa they could go to school for free this the university gave them scholarships um, Bill Clinton called their house to congratulate them on the birth of their children um, and you know they I mean look this was a a really different situation because they were this was the kind of family that like accepted the donations and stuff but they didn't want to be famous they didn't want to be on tv mind you it was 1997 so like you know it's not like they were thinking like oh we should get a reality show or anything like that like they at that time doing an interview for like you know dateline would be about as famous as you could get being you know like a national inquirer headline every once in a while and they didn't want that anyway. They wanted obscurity. They wanted to be left alone. They wanted to just, like, raise these children. And they really legitimately wanted them. Um, they didn't do many interviews. And at the time, like, all the interviews and the exclusives that all these tabloids, uh, you know, claimed to have from them were mostly just quotes picked up from other magazines that would then snowball and the words would get switched around. So they lived in this really crazy media circus for, like, a few years. Um, now you're probably wondering why I'm telling you this information or why it's relevant at all. And I completely understand. Um, but it just so happens to be very pivotal and important in the John and Kate story. So let me just do some really quick housekeeping and then I will fill in the details. So after giving birth to her twins, Kate was diagnosed with, uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, which made it difficult for her to get pregnant again. And it was at this point that John and Kate started fertility treatments. And as a result, they gave birth to six healthy babies. Kate's children were delivered to a team of more than 75 people. Six color-coded, letter-coded um, resuscitation teams. One for each baby. So, essentially, an entire hospital and a team of people were waiting for Kate to give birth. There was a, I think John said that he counted, um, 22 people in the actual hospital room and there were hundreds of people waiting outside. I mean, it was crazy. Um, actually, oh, I wrote down a quote. This was in early 2004. John said, each baby had, I believe a doctor and three nurses. I took a head count in the room and there were 27 people both outside, but outside the room, there were that's but outside the room there were the rest there was a second room with three baby like cradles for each of the babies a b and c then d and e and f were in the operating room everything actually went very smoothly now look let's circle back in 2014 a man named robert hoffman wrote a book called kate goslin how she fooled the world and in this book, Robert talks about Kate's early obsession with the Makahi family. Also, it should be noted that John became friends with Robert during the time that he and Kate hated each other. This is a quote from the book. It says, apparently, Kate was so inspired slash obsessed with the headlines of Bobby Makahi for having had sex tuplets in 1997 that Kate decided she wanted to have the same experience and popularity no matter how she had to achieve it. 
So he also points out in the book that, um, you know, there were unmistakable similarities between Kate and this woman, Bobby. Kate gave birth to sextuplets seven years after the McCaughey family, and they were both very strongly against reducing the number of babies in their bellies, and they used their Christianity as a reason to go forward with the births. Um, they said something like, you know, God made it so that all these children were to be born, so we're going to go forward with it or whatever. Um, and in Kate's book, she talks about the process of naming her children, which she states, you know, was done just kind of completely at random, according to Hoffman. Uh, it was com done completely at random, c according to Kate. But then according to Hoffman, the Makahis first daughter's name is Alexis and their last born child's name was Joel which is the same for Kate and they had it's weird I mean look it's weird you know what I mean it's undeniably kind of weird like I thought it was reaching kind of but like it's not at all actually I mean she very clearly was inspired by this family, and even people in her family have talked about how obsessive she was with this woman, this, like, Christian woman who got all this publicity from having all these kids. Um, another rumor that followed Kate around for many years is the fact that she may have been lying about her diagnosis and the reason that she couldn't have children. Um, apparently, when Kate was a teenager, she had gotten pregnant by her boyfriend and her father, who I mentioned previously was abusive and also insanely religious, made her get an abortion. Um, so this was something that she tried to hide for many years, but then it came out much later. And many people believe that Kate made up her diagnosis as a reason to have multiples. She just wanted a bunch of kids and people claim that, you know, she made up the ovary disease to make people feel sympathy for her, whatever. We'll never know. And that's alleged, and I feel really gross even talking about it. But it's a part of the story. By the way, I just took a giant gulp of water into the microphone, so like when I go back and listen to this later, I'll despise that sound. Um, and immediately after the birth of the children, you know, John and Kate were donated diapers and strollers, and they got gift cards to Sam's Club, um, before the babies had even made it home. So already, like, you know, it, it was literally days after the kids were born and they were already profiting off the kids' birth. And immediately following the birth of the children, they were featured on an NBC reality show called Home Delivery, where their Philadelphia home was uh, redesigned and remodeled to make room for their new children and in September of 2005, the Discovery Channel ran a special called Surviving Sex Tuplets, which featured John and Kate, and it was a huge hit. People really took to them, and they did a follow-up special called A Year Later, and uh, both parts ranked in, like, millions and millions of viewers. Um, and then John and Kate were given their own show, and they were moved to TLC, um... The reimagined version of their show premiered on April 10th of 2007 and became the highest rated program in TLC's history. And like, if you really think about it, it's like, you know, up to this point, we had never really seen anything like this on TV. 
You know, their family was so weirdly normal while being unimaginably strange and, you know, just sort of so out there. Like, it was something that we couldn't really, you know, none of us could really picture what it would be like. They had, they already had a set of twins, which is interesting enough. And then they had this giant group of these little adorable Asian babies that were just like literal angels sent here to be cute on camera. Um... You know, and even though their kids were cute, I do think that people were obviously, I think people obviously enjoyed watching them grow up. Like, I think that that's undeniable. We loved watching their kids be, to just exist. We loved watching them interact with each other, their individual personalities, um, watching how they interacted with their parents and how the older twins interacted with them and how, you know, Maddie was like an Angelica. Always was a Maddie stand, by the way lived and died for Maddie and her Daria fantasy from birth. I mean, like, truly, Maddie is my angel. She's my spirit angel. I've never related to a child more. Sarcastic. She's got a sarcastic tone to her voice. She's a little ornery. You know, she's um, she's a bitch. Like, she's just, she's the best. You know, she's got a quick wit. She's too quick for her mom. Um, and you know she calls those kids dumb babies. She's Angelica. Like, I live for her. Um, but, you know, I do think that Kate was a huge draw for the show, for better or for worse. I think, you know, she's such a polarizing and sort of unapologetically authentic television character, and you either loved her or hated her. Um, I will tell you that I, back in the day, was a Kate apologist because people were so, mind you, this is like, you know, 2007, people are terrible to women at this time. We still are. People hate women now, but at the time, we were even worse. And people were so just chauvinistic and, like, sexist about the way she looked and how she was too assertive and she was too um, straightforward and too whatever. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... Go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.